many educators gave time to me over the years. I think about my physical education teachers who nurtured me from the outset. They were amazing humans and they shaped, at really difficult times for me, they shaped uh, who I was as a person and they provided me with a lot of opportunities and I wanted to pay that forward. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With online achievements and badges for completing key tasks, My Study Series ensures students are highly engaged and motivated to learn. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 69 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log, where we share stories from outstanding leaders, educators and influencers who are challenging the status quo. I'm your host, Carl Kondaloff, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Celia Flex. Celia, general elections happened in the weekend. They did. Do you, yep, they did. Do you, do you turn the voting process into a bit of an event or do you just get it done? I just get it done. Just get it done. But I did watch the coverage on Saturday night. Like it actually kept me engaged on Saturday night, I have to say, which perhaps is a bit of a sad reflection of my social life. How how good was Jacinda's speech? Yeah, yeah, it was it was very cool. And actually today on Facebook I saw a translation of the Tirao that she had used to begin her speech, which was really cool. I might have to check that out. Yeah, it was. I was really impressed with the use of Tadell through throughout, yeah. and just the way she spoke. Um, you know, compared to the leader of the opposition, and I know challenging times, but um, the chalk and cheese between the two of them in terms of how they how they speak and connect with an audience. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the quote of the night, though was from um <laughs> was from david seymour when asked about the diversity of his mps and he spoke about the fact that two of them were vegetarian <laughs> yep. I, didn't, yep. I didn't hear that oh classic david oh, yep. hey, so uh this week we've got um susie stevens on the podcast now she is the current pens president and so you've been in that role. How hard is that role? It is tough. It is so tough. Um, yeah, like she's a superstar. She, um, like, you know, you spoke about in the podcast, I'm not sure that she necessarily wanted it at the time, but she stepped up when somebody needed to step up into that role and then ended up taking on the CEO job as well for a time. And, yeah, what what a star, like just that I just can't begin to, you can't really begin to explain what kind of a workload it is when it is completely voluntary. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I still remember that uh, that meeting when we all just said, sorry, Susie, it's it's yeah. you. And she really had no choice. So big ups to her for, for taking that on board and doing it really well. And she has been... Um, she has been a superstar. What uh, what were some key takeaways for you from the episode? Um, one of the one of the key ones actually for me was was when you asked her around. I think your question was around well being. No, your question was around challenges to PE teachers at the moment, and she answered around that thirty thirty thirty. And and like you said, I had not heard of that either. And so she talked about maintaining that balance of 30% kind of yep you have to put out some fires 30% yep you just have to get on and do your day-to-day stuff but do you make time you know in terms of that other 30% for strategic leadership so that time to think and the time to reflect and the time to um 
innovate, I guess. And and yeah, and that was really cool. I kind of um, was quite challenged by that in terms of um, thinking of that that balance. And um, yeah, and then when you asked her, you know, I thought you were going to say something perhaps about well-being, and she's like, well, that is it, right? If you can nail your job, then that contributes to your well-being. So yeah, it yeah. was cool. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I, I don't have any particular highlights. I, you know, I just really enjoy um, sitting down to have a chat with with Susie because she's she's very she's very good at what she does. She um, articulates her thoughts really well. And uh, she's one of those people that anytime you talk to her, you always feel like you're leaving more intelligent than when you started that conversation with her. So um, I think there's probably a lot to um, a lot to take away from this episode, a, a lot about governance and if you're unsure about uh, the role that PENS plays and what they do uh, for physical education in New Zealand, there's lots of good stuff in here and then um, other bits and pieces around some of the stuff that Susie's doing. So it's a good episode. Uh, so let's jump into episode 69 with Susie Stevens. Susie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Hey, um, this is this is a special moment. Uh, you, this is your second time on the podcast. We we um, reserve the right of multiple appearances to only the coolest of people. Oh, well, that's very kind. Um, are, are you sure you're just not low on content? Uh, there's a bit of that, but we we won't go there. Can you remember <laughs> what, epi- what episode you were on? Oh God, I have no idea. Don't put me on the spot like that. I have a guess. Have I, a guess. Oh, your, your, oh. your episode, this, so this is going to be episode 69, so have a guess what episode okay. you're on. This is episode 69? Yes. Um, maybe in the 40s. Was I in the 40s? No, 31. Oh, 31. Well, that's good. I can deal yeah. with that. All right, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your PE teaching background and experience and, and a little about some of the, the different hats you wear? Because um, that was three years ago, you're on the podcast and uh, uh, quite a bit of our audience might not know you or who you are. So it'd be good to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can't believe that was three years ago. Uh, that kind of shocks me. But um Anyway, yeah, I trained at um, Canterbury University. I did the Bachelor of Education four-year integrated degree at the time, and um, I majored in PE, uh, health education, outdoor education, social studies, and history. So I went like full noise, tried to get as much stuff done as possible. Um, I worked out at Kaiapui High School and I had experience there as a TIC outdoor education and assistant head of faculty PE. Um, and I was like curriculum development lead and things like that. So um, had the exposure of leadership really early on and quite enjoyed it and loved it. Uh, I've also worked at a Christchurch Rudolf Steiner school um, and that was really cool because I had the combination of New Zealand curriculum with the Wardorf curriculum um, and I learned quite a lot in that space about teaching uh, and using experiential ed. Um, what else did I do? Re- I worked as a relief teacher when I had two boys. I've got two young sons. Um, and over that time as well, I taught at the University of Canterbury um, into the Bachelor of Sports Coaching and the Bachelor of Physical Education degrees whilst completing a Master's in Olympic Education and a PhD in Health Sciences. Um, and the last couple of years, I've been managing a research institute on child wellbeing. Um, and it kind of brings me to now, what I currently do right this day and age. Um, At the moment, my major hats are raising and co-parenting my two young sons. Um, I'm a volunteer for a global health organisation. I chair the Board of Physical Education New Zealand and I work as an academic and strategic lead at the University of Canterbury. That's kind of me, I guess, in a nutshell. Does that kind of answer your question? It does. Lots of hats. <laughs> I thought I wore a lot of hats, but um, you wear oh. significantly more hats than I do. Uh, I'm interested in Rudolf Steiner, ex- experiential education. What's what's that all about? 
Oh, Rudolf Steiner is so cool. Like, some people think it's really trippy, but um, really what it is is about educating the whole human and using experience as much as possible in that education. So for an example, you know, biomechanics that you might teach in a classroom or in a gym space, uh, we'd bash outside and have find a river and then go, okay, what's the force that's required to get across this river? Um, it's like if you have an orange, why would you teach a, using a picture of an orange when you could have an orange in front of you and you could peel the layers of that orange and you could smell and taste the orange? So it's kind of, it's really getting back to grassroots of the best ways to learn is, is by doing it and getting amongst it. And do you think that has, uh, you know, you're obviously you've spent some time in that domain and you believe in it. Do you, do you see a lot of that transfer into the way you parent as well? Yeah, I, I, do think that's the case. Um, I think with my parenting, I try to be as much of a role model as possible, uh, enjoy life, be as playful as possible. And a lot of that probably came out of Rudolf Steiner. Um, but also as I trained back in the day as a teacher, when I learned at University of Canterbury about being a holistic human and that physical education was really important for um, sustaining the best life possible or flourishing as a human being. So I kind of, every time I teach PE or every time I think about PE, I'm not just really thinking about skill acquisition or how to do something with the body. I'm thinking about human development and, and that whole flourishing and being the best human that can possibly be. So quite deep things, but I guess that's how I parent as well. Nice. I like that. That's... Um... You know, I've, I've read a little bit about um, experiential education, but I, I really like the way you described it using the, the orange to kind of frame that. Uh, it made so much more sense uh, around why you would want to experience something like that over looking at a picture in a book. Makes a lot of sense. Um, we've had a hell of a year, COVID. Oh my God, uh, tell me about it. What, what, what do you think has been the biggest challenge and biggest opportunity um, I, I like the two, you know, often talk about challenge, but what about challenge as well as opportunity the pandemic has, has presented to education? That, I mean, that's a massive question. Um, I really like that question. I think that the biggest challenge for me is it, I wasn't, like, I, I don't want to say I wasn't challenged by COVID, okay, and I'm still challenged by COVID, but I didn't want to focus on the challenges of COVID. I didn't want to let COVID get me down or, or think about how this is a one-off thing that's going to go away. I guess the challenge for me is getting people to realise that COVID isn't an aberration, a one-off, or something that will be fixed when 2021 ticks over and a new set of New Year's resolutions kick off. And I think that a lot of us... Are uh, thinking that way. We're thinking that 2021 is going to come in and everything's going to return to this idea of normal. Um, and I think probably the biggest challenge is getting people to understand and realise that actually we need to get rid of that frame of thinking because most of the opportunities that have come out of COVID are actually teaching us about uh, better ways to live our lives or do our jobs or interact with, with other humans or be great citizens. So I guess for me, the biggest opportunities in those regards were so many. I, I loved the forced changes to life. I really liked um, having to experience something new and that being a challenge. I liked forced change to embrace new technologies that I hadn't explored. I liked forced change in terms of my parenting and being in the home. Um, I liked that we normalised a child standing in the background of Zooms wearing a cape and undies and swimming goggles and just like normalised the whole parenting, working life. Um, it was really tough and I'm not saying that it wasn't tough and I know people are struggling and I know that there will be economic and financial ramifications for a lot of people and I know people lost jobs and I'm not downplaying that in any way, shape or form. Um, but I do really hope that people see that pandemic as an opportunity and look for ways out of this, but not out of this in a temporary fashion. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it was nice that you were able to, to touch on, you know, the people that are struggling and, and have found it really hard because that, I think that's an important thing to acknowledge as well. And similar to yourself, you know, I, I found lockdown and COVID a really positive experience for a number of reasons. And so, some of those reasons were ones um, were ones that you mentioned there. And, and definitely I've had an opportunity to, to speak and, you know, do some webinars and speak at online conferences since that happened. And I, and I tend to be defaulting back to this idea of new norm, um, but then also looking mm -hmm. at opp opportunities and um, environment opportunities and networking and opportunities and collaboration as, as kind of a big three um, where we have this amazing opportunity to move forward and, and not um, not view this as something that's going to be fixed, but to really um, reimagine what education can or should look like uh, under these new dynamics that we have. So um, yeah, it was was a positive experience for me, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that it was a positive experience for you. You, you say, uh, you know, you, you kind of alluded to a new norm. Do you think a vaccine would change that? Or do you think, uh, I guess another another way to frame frame it is, do you think... New Zealand are making enough changes in that direction to kind of understand that this is the new norm and we need to be thinking about that as opposed to just trying to slot back into the default of what what we had before? Mm, that's a really um, a really good question. Uh, look, I don't I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I think that behaviour change is really difficult and I think a lot of our behaviours might have changed in the short term, but I'm unsure about him, how many of those are sustaining over a longer time. Um, I, I know for me, I made a whole lot of great resolutions to try and maintain this new sense of normalcy around, you know, switching off or unplugging or exploring my local space. Some of those I have managed to continue to do very well, but some are a very difficult behaviour change. Um, and I think with any behavioural cultural change, there needs to be support in place for that to continue. And when life returned and maybe places of employment uh, didn't capitalise on, on different structures of learning or understanding or wanted to enforce old rules on this changed nature, you know, I think that that really suppressed some of the opportunities we had for change. Uh, what I mean by that is flexible learning or flexible teaching. Um, if you think about a school and its structure, uh, I know that a lot of people were given the flexibility uh, of looking at learning very differently, providing uh, learning to their students in very different ways, not having to be on site for particular periods of, of the day. Uh, and then as soon as lockdown was over, some of those things came back into force where teachers were required to be on school site from this hour to this hour when they probably could be working at home or they could be working better in other environments. And I think it's very short-sighted for us not to capitalise on those opportunities and go, actually, we did achieve quite a lot in this space, so it, it could continue to look and feel quite different. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a good point. One, um, this is completely, I was just thinking of this as, as you were talking then. I, I just love the fact that 12 months ago, if you had asked somebody to jump on a Zoom call, hey, let's jump on a Zoom call, I'll send you the link. They wouldn't know what the hell you're talking about, but now everybody is just like, so um, we're all experts with Zoom and Google Meet and all of that. And I think that's fascinating as well. That was like completely off on a tangent. I'm not sure why I was thinking about it, but I, no, I, was. I love that. I think, it's a really, <laughs> I think it's a really good example, though, of that forced, like it was that forced learning. We kind of had yeah. to really quickly. Yeah. We had to learn. Uh, about all of these different, you know, meeting platform sites. And people got really excited by it. I mean, I think at one stage, I, I kind of staged an intervention and said no more than five to six Zooms per day because I was Zoomed out. Um, but having a balance of that now with face-to-face -face and Zoom and not having to travel so much, I think for me has been a revelation. It's changed mm. the way that I work. Mm. Mm. You've been acting in the role of PENS president for the last eight months or so, uh, but you were recently voted into the role by your peers. How has this journey felt for you leading up to, to that recent appointment? Wow. Um, I came on board uh, to the 
I, I think I came into the role very quickly and you were there at the time and Celia um, Celia was stepping down and the board needed to appoint somebody into the position. And at the same time, of course, Richard was stepping down and so we had the CEO uh, role that was vacant for, um, for a good number of months. And so I kind of... It was baptism by fire. I mean, I learned so much in a short space of time, but I was juggling this governance governance aspect with um, with this operations CEO type role, and for me, that was a lot of work, and it was it was quite hard. Um, I have made many mistakes and learned from all of them. Um, I remember coming in and eating humble pie really quickly, critically reflecting on all of the past presidents and past board members that have gone before me. And I remember being very critical uh, of, of Physical Education New Zealand in the past and going, you know, offering advice sometimes and not following that up with action. Um, and so I, I learned a lot in the space about the demands of uh, how much work it actually takes to run a subject organisation and what governance looks like. And I guess now this journey has changed. Um, we have a great CEO in place, Tanya, and she's found her feet and she is humming. We have a board that is established and, and is nearly back to full capacity. Uh, I'm able to really um, get my hands dirty in this governance role, which I'm really excited by. And I guess for me, this journey has felt like learning like anything in life but um but learning and it's feeling good i feel really good about it at the moment that's awesome and i i don't know if i said this to you but you know you did it you did an amazing job in that interim when it was so messy and you were doing so much for the organization you you were um you were fantastic in that role and i know there was that hesitation when we uh kind of shafted you in that meeting to say that you were doing it but um you you took it and you 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 know like you said you learned uh, a lot on through that process but man you did a really good job so that's that's a massive ups to you that's really kind um i, I look, for me it was more important about getting help out because of course i mean covid cropped up too and so i I mean, we had so many things to target and target quickly uh, when we had to support the profession and th the feedback that we got as a subject organisation was really cool at that time. So there were wee pockets where I felt good about trying to trying to help out and trying to help people on the ground, I guess. So that was cool. For a brand new PE teacher, young teacher who hasn't <laughs> heard of pens or doesn't exactly know uh, what it is they do, how would you describe to them what PENS is and, and what the what the organisation does? Mm, um, I would say, well, it, I mean, officially, so PENS is just shortened for Physical Education New Zealand, and um, our Māori name is Tel Kore Aotearoa, and we are a professional not-for-profit organisation and incorporated society. But what that actually means is that we're interested in promoting quality physical education and we are a team of people that do that. Um, we are not-for-profit which means we have a lot of volunteers, we have masses of volunteers around New Zealand um, and sometimes uh, they volunteer on different scales so it could just be people helping out at one-off events or a conference presentation or it could be people that actively do the accounts for an official branch um, and all of what we do is to promote and develop physical education within New Zealand we want teachers and students to understand it we want the sector to understand it we want bigger organizations like Ministry of Education to really understand it and the reason we want that is because we want to sustain over a long period of time. We want people to invest in physical education and to understand how it contributes to human development and why it's an important part of schooling in New Zealand. That's that's really good um, and I understand that but I, I really feel that um, a lot of the physical education teachers out there, you know, even with you saying that, wouldn't really have an idea of what it is that the organization does. So can you, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to word this correctly, but 
so what is it what does a day-to-day look like for the organization of pens like what what sort of things do they do and you know advocacy and all of that okay um right well an example might be if somebody gets in touch so we have subject advisors uh, and someone might get in touch with a subject advisor uh, and say i need some help with nca level two i'm delivering this standard i don't understand the explanatory notes and so we have a subject advisor team that will get in touch with nzqa and provide more um more information around that specific question uh, we might have somebody that comes to us and says, look, we have um, we have an opportunity in the wider sector, uh, like a sporting competition or an event, and we would really like some advice and guidance to what quality physical education practice would look like, or could you help us make sure that this day is representative um, of New Zealand curriculum values and an ethos? So we would help them guide that. Uh, we might have over lockdown, there was a really good example uh, when the ministry um, um, put forward about what physical education looked like and, and they televised subjects and this idea of online learning, online TV, um, and they used a Les Mills fitness class to display what physical education could be in the home. And so in part of um, us advocating for quality physical education, we got on the phone really quickly and we rang the ministry and we said, actually, this is not the be all and end all of physical education. This isn't what it looks like specifically. And we could, um, we can help support you to understand different ways to better represent our subject area. So does that kind of give you a little bit more... Uh, of the day-to-day, -day, the operations of what physical education New Zealand tries to achieve? It does. It, it really does. And, and the reason I, I wanted you to do that was because I do get a feeling, or in the past I've had the feeling that, um, you know, members and phys ed teachers think that PENS is just there to serve them, but it's so much bigger than that. Uh, and there's all these other different roles um, that uh PENS have responsibility for and contribute towards. And I think it's just really important that um, the membership base and, and for Z teachers understand that. Would you would you would you would you agree with that kind of that? Uh, it's almost an assumption. No, I think it's I think it's a really solid assumption. Um, and I was the same when I started in physical education. I when you pay a membership fee, sometimes you go, I have no idea what this is actually doing. And or when you're a union member and you go, I've got no idea what this is actually doing. And it takes a little bit of time to understand the bigger picture or the nature of what a union actually does for a for a profession or what a membership to an organization does for you as a as an individual teacher um, and, and we do want to know what we get out of it and i think as a teacher you often see the conferences or the workshops that are available um, but that is only a tiny part of what a subject organization or what a, a professional organization actually does so i, I completely understand um, you know as a new member myself i back in the day i was i was very very much the same. I was looking for what is this actually doing uh, and how is it meeting my needs. What's the driving factor for you to be involved with PENS in this, in this president role? Because, you know, you wear so many hats and it seems like a volunteer role like this is just bringing a massive workload to your plate. <laughs> yeah. I'm joking. Sorry, I'm joking. Um, I, need a, I need a drink of water. You need a drink of water. Go and get a drink of water. I'm good. I've got a cup next to me. Okay, I was going to say, I'll hold the fort until you get back. Um, yeah, this brings a little bit more work to my plate. Um, but to, to me, many educators gave time to me over the years. I think about my physical education teachers who nurtured me from the outset. They were amazing humans and they shaped, at really difficult times for me, they shaped uh, who I was as a person and they provided me with a lot of opportunities and I wanted to pay that forward um, and volunteerism is amazing when you come together with a group to achieve a common goal it reminds you why the human race is pretty damn awesome um, and it, it really does people more people should volunteer like volunteer as mentors volunteer in organizations in the community you know giving back I think is it, it sounds so bloody cheesy but giving back gives you 
something that you can't get from paid work. It really does. And, um, and it's for the greater good. It's for a common goal. Uh, I wanted change um, in the organisation. I have lots of ideas and I'm really opposed to standing outside the glass house and shouting at it or throwing a stone um, or saying you're already cracked. I'd rather roll up my sleeves and um, install a new panel of glass, so to speak. So I think, you know, at the heart of our learning area, we have critical pedagogy, right? And and that fuels a lot of what we do as physical educators. But many of us forget the social action that's actually connected to critical pedagogy. We expose multiple perspectives and we critique and we debate, but we often forget that social action. But once, once these um, critiques and debate expose the information for what it is or expose something that needs to be fixed, we actually need to stay to find the solutions or to be open to new possibilities. We need to be honest and really vulnerable in that messy space and not just walk away. Um, and so for me, they are all my motives around being involved. If I am going to critique pens, I need to be involved with pens. If I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly and I'm going to commit um, to achieving a common goal. So, yeah, for me, it's giving back. I like that. And the only thing is, though, with that, like I'm sure there are other people that have criticised or critiqued pens in the past. But there's only, you know, there's only so many board roles. What what are other ways for people who um, are uncertain about what PENS provides um, for them to, you know, kind of get on board and get behind PENS or understand PENS a little bit better? What sort of things could they be doing? Really thinking about their local space, their local areas. So forming clusters. I mean, we have a few clusters that are, we have different levels of operations in these clusters. Um, but good humans coming together foster something in their in their local area or space. Think about setting up online communities, getting in touch with us about how they could best support their communities. Um, starting with two or three people uh, locally together and saying we want to support good practice. Um, Offering, offering to help out if they want to share resources and things with us, if they have good ideas, if they want to help out our subject advisors, if they want to present at conferences, if they have really good ideas, put those forward uh, and be be part of it. But I, yeah, I, I think. I think just the the willingness and openness to to put forward ideas and in a really constructive manner is is awesome. I think a great way to be involved. It's hard to put ideas forward though. It's so hard. It, you know, even somebody who's an experienced educator to put yourself out there and say, "Hey, what about this?" or "Hey, what about that?" It's so, um, you know, it's so. Well, you need to be vulnerable, and I know you mentioned vulnerability there, but it's just so challenging. Yeah, I, look, I completely understand that. And and often people say, well, why doesn't PENS approach me? Or why don't people come to me for the idea if they think it's a good one? And to be honest, we are a tiny organisation. I mean, we are all busy. We all work full-time loads. I mean, it's not it's not through lack of, of empathy or wanting to get involved. It's just going well, we have a, a small resource, we need to manage that resource. And so often you have to be proactive in this space. You've got to keep knocking on the door. And I get that for some people that's really difficult to do, but um, but we would, we would try and support you the best that you could in that space and, and feel open to contribute. Do you have any personal goals or key outcomes that you're hoping for in the role that you'd be prepared to share? Yeah, um, <laughs> we've been doing some strategic planning at the moment, but I guess personal goals. Um, I really, most of my aspirations revolve around consistency, I think, delivering on what we say we want to do and maybe rethinking membership of a subject organisation. I'd really love to cut through any competitive barriers that currently exist in the education sector. 
um, and target some new opportunities to work with new voices. So I'm really opposed to people working in competition and I think there is a bit of this entrepreneurial drive where people feel like they need to be some someone or do something or package something in a particular way um, and I think the subject organisation is a good space for that not to happen and um, there's plenty of space for that to happen in the sector there really is but I think in terms of subject knowledge and expertise it would be great to just remove the remove the barriers that exist and work together to find really solid solutions for our members if that makes sense it does and you know, is, is, is that idea of collaboration and stuff like that, does that not exist currently in that space? Is that what you're saying? Or do you think there is just too much competition there? But yes and no. I think collaboration, okay, it's so easy. It's so damn easy to say, let's collaborate, okay? But collaborate actually takes sacrifice. You have to give something up. Like if you're going to co-create something or collaborate with someone, you actually have to sacrifice part of what you're doing there. And so does the other party to come together to actually make something together or to work. And I and I'm unsure whether or not we do that very well in education. I think there's still competitive elements that exist, like scholarship, for an example, and topics in scholarship, or the drive for how many scholarships we can gain, uh, or what school is doing a better job than other schools. There's still that underlying com competition that, that exists in the education sector, uh, which I think sometimes holds us back. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And you know, you, you recently shared um, a bit of work with me around this whole idea of a culture of individualism where, um, you know, educators often disregard collaboration because it's seen as the easy way out or because it involves them giving up ownership and control of something. And that can be really, really challenging to do. But, you know, there can be no, um, it's no real negatives to collaborating with somebody, you know, that it improves um, the knowledge that's coming in behind whatever it is you're doing. So um, I, I agree with you there. Um, I, I've got a question about governance. And yes. it's obviously <laughs> something that you value. Uh, but I, yes. I, I feel that it's, you know, it tends to be an older generation who is invested in governance. So how do you think? Or how do you wait, 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 are you calling me old right now? What, uh, what is it? I think I, I'm older than you, aren't I? So I think I'm, you so, are, so that's fine. I, I tend can... to forget that I'm not 25 anymore, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even I 40. Think, I'm not think... even 40, so I'm young. I'm young. Are we middle-aged? <laughs> are we, we might be middle-aged. This is one of these moments in life where I have a, like a, it's a revelation. I'm not happy about it. So without, without offending anybody or being ageist, <laughs> I do feel that there tends to be um, a lot of older individuals um, that seem really engaged in governance. But I think it's really important that if, if this approach and, and the support of organisations is to, to carry on, we need to be feeding through a younger generation. So how do you entice them? How do you get them into things like governance? Oh, that I, that's really difficult, but I really feel like it comes down to relevance. Um, relevance, being so relevant. So we need, we need for, to make we need to make things like this relevant to young people. Yeah, absolutely. And and if it's not, or if people are looking at governance and looking at structures like subject organisations and going, I have no idea what this is doing, then then that's on us. Like we need to better communicate that or change to suit how we are actually going to entice or engage. Um, and But I also, also flip side of that, there is some responsibility around that. And I get that there's a lot on people's plates, but it's kind of like voting for a political party. Like don't abstain from voting and then get shitty because your voice isn't heard um, or you're not seen in the policy that's been created you know um, and I think some of that comes down to accessibility but definitely knowing the procedures and how to vote this year um, we made the election for board members at pens and voting a hell of a lot easier um, and COVID was an opportunity to do that and I'm hoping that voting and and sort of the work that we do around our AGM will get easier and more accessible every year from now. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that that will help a little with engagement as well and access. Um, but 
but yeah, it's it, I mean, it's tricky, but I, I do think relevance has, has to be front and centre. Yeah, definitely. But I also think that that whole idea of access is really, really important too. And like you said, with the with the AGM being online, uh, with the voting being online, there was no real restriction to anybody engaging with that. Uh, so uh, making that access a little bit more visible to the community, I think, and, and uh, giving people a real feel for what it is that we do, I think is probably a really good start um, to bring some of those um, younger educators and, and, and teachers on board. Yeah, that's solid. And, and the last thing I was going to add there is that we did have the most votes that we've had and we had higher levels of registration and attendance as well for our AGM. So, and, and that was done in a really short space of time. So I am hoping that it's, that is an indication of what's to come. I think it's a real indication. I think it's it's really positive step forward. Uh, and you know, even with such a short time frame, like uh, I, I struggled to get my department in on the AGM because it was the holidays and stuff like that, and it was short notice. But I think moving forward, there's definitely scope to bring uh, more people into that AGM to contribute and and um, be a part of that. Yeah, solid. What What do you think are the biggest challenges? physical educators face right now? Oh my gosh. Um, I I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. Yeah, question you are. Don't be sorry. Yes, you are. All physical educators, like that's huge. Um, I think, I think that physical educators, well, a, a whole lot of people have told me lately that they're really tired. This year has been a really, really big one. And so I guess in those regards, I would probably say that many people still feel quite suffocated by these new initiatives or objectives without things being taken out of circulation. And I, I think smart work is really tricky in a school space, being smart, being good with time, um, being, being balanced, being able to really focus on priorities. I had some... Uh, it was some really cool advice um, from the rector of Stack, and she she told me once uh, Stack is you know St Andrews College down here in um, in Christchurch, and she told me about this thirty 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 sort of approach, and she said like thirty percent of the time we uh, put out fires, they are the emergencies as leaders, and then or you know or teachers, and then thirty percent of the time we are uh, we have the day-to-day -day running, sort of the everyday job. And then the other 30% is this sort of strategy or thinking about the future. She said what happens in times of crisis is that the fires become a lot bigger than 30%. But what she's saying is she's saying that, you know, to be successful, you kind of need to balance all three. And I'm probably saying that the biggest challenges physical educators face is actually prioritizing and making sure that they invest in all three of these components and give an equal weighting to all three of these components. You know, thinking about, yes, there's always going to be the fires I need to put out. Um, and yes, there's always going to be the day-to-day. -day, but where's that 30%? Where, where does that time exist to actually think, to actually go, I need to reflect on the fires, I need to reflect on the day-to-day, -day, and I need to change that practice. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think that the biggest challenge is, is really thinking smartly about the way that we work um, and feeling overwhelmed by new initiatives and objectives and trying to maybe rethink about the way that we deal with those. That's a really interesting answer and it's not the, uh, a typical answer I would have expected to have received back and you know this been having a encouraging teachers or PE teachers to, to get a grasp of their priorities and their time management and things like that is um, is, a, is is important, but it's it's not where I expected you to go with that. Why would you have chosen uh, you know that 30, 30, 30 principle, which I've never heard of before, as opposed to um, framing that from a say a whole order perspective? Because I think this is Hawara. Like, you know, when we, it's so easy to say well-being and like, you know, prioritize well-being and things like that. But if we can't get on top of the job, we're never going to be well. Like, we, you know, if we, if we can't do this in our, in our job space where we are active, like we're actively 
putting time into these areas and we're actively thinking about our role and our duty in the profession and our care for our profession and our want to look after our students, if we can't get on top of the job, get on top of the role and feel really confident in the role, then our well-being is always going to suffer because of that. Um, and, and yeah, I, I genuinely believe that we don't think enough about that space. No, it's good. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I really like it. I think it's, and when I just digging a bit deeper now and thinking about it and in and, and my own teaching career, like that fire is, I, I have always described that as the storm of teaching and it's just can become this big mess. But then alongside yeah. of that, instead of, well, I, I guess I, you have your day-to-day, -day, your teaching, but then the strategy is kind of that big picture stuff. So um, it does fit and it does make sense. And being able to get that balance there, I, I think is really important. And I guess reflecting on, on my roles in teaching, uh, I feel like probably one of my strengths is my, ability to prioritize and my ability to manage time. I, I don't wear quite as many hats as you, but um, I think that's sound advice because, um, you know, I, I feel in all the hats I wear, it really works for me. Understanding that prioritizing and having really strong time management and being able to segment your days like that. So I think that's really good advice. And I hope people um, consider that as, as kind of an, an alternative way to frame their well-being. Uh, we've got we've got one more question, but before we get to that question, um, is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention, or is there anything you want to ask me? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think, I mean, you asked me about why I do pens, and especially when I'm so busy and have numerous hats, but you're no different, right? I mean, you talked about you, you do a lot of stuff, so can I ask your reasons for being involved with pens? Sure. My, my reasons are not as selfless as your reasons. It's not really about volunteerism for me. Um, but similar, in a sense, to you, I found myself um, at a point going, well, what does what is, what is PENS do? And, and kind of thinking about some of the things I could see and being critical of that. And then I just decided, look, I can't sit here and be critical uh, without taking action. Um, I'm a big fan of executing and taking action. So I decided to put myself out there. I love getting uncomfortable as well. And that was a real uncomfortable thing for me at the start. Um, and even those first two years on the board uh, have been a really big learning experience for me. Um, so that is, that's part of the reason. Um, and another reason is I'm really, really passionate about technology and technology and, and PE. That was kind of my, my bread and butter as a young teacher. And I, I firmly believe that if um, an organization like PENS can't get a grasp of the value of technology in something like physical education, then um, we, we, you know, in the next 10 years, we're going to be in a really challenging position. And so because I have those yeah. strengths, I feel that that's something I can contribute positively to the board. Um, and, you know, I, I guess like you, I had really positive experiences uh, in physical education as, as a student growing up in secondary school. Um, so it's something I'm passionate about. And I guess in a sense, in a roundabout way, it is giving a little bit back, but not quite as, like I said, as, as selfless um, as, as your reasons. Oh, that, no, that's really cool. I don't think I've ever heard you speak about why you got involved with pens as well. But I, um, I'm, I taught the on the technology. I think that you, you've nailed that. And I mean, you know, whatever personal reasons, I think you do bring that strength to the board. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we will be able to work quite hard in that space too. So, no, it's cool. I'm excited about what the board can achieve and and the people that we have working on the board. Last question. So a team you've been working with has been um, has been awarded a research grant really recently, actually. Um, what's that all about? And can, can you tell us a bit more? Yep, um, I can. Yes, we I celebrated <laughs> recently. <laughs> I may or not have had a couple of wines. 
and my response to receiving the phone call around this may have involved a few expletives. If anybody knows me, they know I'm a bit of a swearer. So um, there were a few things that came out of my mouth that probably I shouldn't repeat on a podcast. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is part of a core, which stands for a center of research excellence. Now these are really big, they're really big things. They're quite exciting. Um, and they involve the whole of New Zealand. So this one is hosted by the University of Auckland, uh, but it partners with University of Otago, uh, me at the University of Canterbury, uh, Unitech, uh, University of Waikato and Massey as well. Um, and it's all about healthy hearts for Aotearoa New Zealand. So Manaki Manawa, and it's centered on cardiovascular health. Um, and it's really cool. So we um, we have a bit of time. So till 2028, we have some really massive goals. Um, we are trying to strive towards equity and heart health for Māori and Pacific peoples. Uh, and improve cardiovascular health and well-being across the country. So I, I don't know if people know a lot about it, but cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability in Aotearoa. And we are trying to tackle essentially um, what is a really inequitable space. So we want to have a look at um, having an earlier, more precise and personalized prevention programs, prediction, uh, detection, diagnosis, treatment of cardiovascular disease. We have scientists, educators, clinicians, GPs, cardiovascular specialists, tissue banks, epidemiologists, public health experts, Māori and Pacifica community health partners, um, physiologists. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. So I was stoked to be a part of this. Um, we are being funded a, a hefty amount and we have some really big hopes and dreams. So this is kind of one of these... Um, lifetime career changing moments but for me it's exciting because uh, I get to lead the education stream and I get to chair uh, the early career research committee and I'm going to have a look at how someone experiences and learns about the heart through um, pathways and encounters and resources in our education system and and also bring a physical education lens to it. So the, the pivotal roles that physical education and science education can play uh, to, to bigger, bigger things, bigger societal, um, yeah, <laughs> bigger social determinants of health, which is cool. It's really and cool. I'm excited. That's really cool. And, <laughs> and congratulations for that. Do you, but, you know, a leadership role, you're, you're listing off all of the people that you'll be working with. Being in a leadership role, is that, is that really intimidating at the moment when you think about that? Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'm like I, I'm packing myself. I mean, this this scares. I it, it scares me. It, it really does. I think um, this is this is huge. I'm working with some people that have a lot of initials next to their name, a lot of titles. Uh, I'm, I'm working with people in professions that don't understand the school space, so I have to you know use very different terminology and I need to uh, I need to work with really different people and for me I've always wanted to do that to push myself to try and and try and think about how physical education exists outside of a school sector and and I really think that this these are this is an example of how to do that. Um, it's an example of how physical education doesn't exist in its own wee world in a school. And that's cool. It excites me. I think you'll be awesome at it. So um, well done on that. Congratulations. <laughs> I, we'll see. We'll see. No, you will be. I, I want to take this time to thank you for um, giving up uh, in, what is afternoon? Thursday afternoon to, to sit down and have a chat. I know, yeah. I know you're super busy and... Um, I still can't believe how, how many hats and all the different roles you're in, but um, I really value your time. I also value you as an individual and a human because, you, you know, you, you're you someone I've always looked up to within um, the PE community and you're somebody that has given me a lot of help and support um, over the last sort of six months and, and I really do appreciate that. So I hope um, this, this new journey for you is going to be really, really rewarding and you get everything out of it that you deserve. Thank you. That's really kind, um, and I, and I, I really don't mind 
investing my time into initiatives like this because I I am just hopeful that um, people can take something that means something to them or they can use it as a learning opportunity or it's an exposure uh, to to understand you know um, what pens does or or yeah, sort of I, I don't know I, I guess I guess for me I don't mind investing in, in good quality professional learning development stuff and I see these, these podcasts as, as that so thank you very much for a second invite thank you <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day thank you